1: What are
2: the most successful change leaders of today doing that makes them stand out? Welcome to Inside Transformational Leadership. Our program is produced by the Institute for Transformational Leadership at Georgetown University. We'll explore the inner game of transformational leadership, sharing insights from renowned leaders and faculty from our world-class leadership and coaching programs. Now, from Georgetown University, here is this week's host...
3: Hi, this is Kate Ebner, thank you for joining us this week. Today, we're going to be talking about how to leverage polarities and how to understand how to navigate complexity in organizational life. This topic is a bit of a mouthful, and I am actually glad we're doing it, because if there's one thing I know as a leadership coach and as someone who teaches at the Institute for Transformational Leadership, it's that we are all working, leading, and living in a very fast-paced and complex world. Our guests today are Kelly Lewis of Lewis, Lewis Leadership Group, a member of our faculty at the Georgetown Institute for Transformational Leadership. She um, teaches in the coaching program and I believe also in the leadership program. Um, Kelly has been a coach working with executives in for-profit and the nonprofit world for a long time. And I know that as a student of our second guest, Dr. Barry Johnson, she has become intrigued by and very adept at working with this concept of polarities. Um, Dr. Barry Johnson is... um, a thought leader who's created the first polarity map back in 1975 and a set of principles to go with it. Since then, he's been learning with his clients about how to leverage polarities, which he also calls paradoxes, dilemmas, or tensions. Um, Since 1975, polarity thinking has been applied in hundreds of organizations, large and small, in the United States and globally. Today, we're going to be talking about how to recognize polarities, how to manage and leverage polarities, really how to understand um, how to move through complexity. And I'm really excited about this conversation. I believe it's going to help a lot of people. So welcome to both of you. Welcome, Kelly and Barry.
1: Thanks, oh, Dave. Thank it's great to be here.
3: Well, I think, you know, um, I, I, I'm so looking forward to this conversation and it might be helpful if we could build a little bit on what i've said already and um kelly i'd like to start with you actually and i know you've been coaching you know leading coaching and and building uh companies for a long time would love to know what drew you to polarity management and and to this work
1: Initially, it was actually our dear friend and colleague, Cliff Kaiser, who was talking about it one night um, while we were having a glass of wine, and and then it became the work itself. I started working with the Polarity Thinking in 2009 with both Cliff and Barry, and I have found the the work, it's intuitive, it's actionable, and it is rich, Um, and it has provided me a fundamental understanding of both myself and the world around me in a way that allows me to expand that, to differentiate, and also to um, to include things that weren't included in my thinking prior to. And I would say the richness of it has not only supported my clients in, in their ability to navigate complexity and to um, lead in the way that's being called for. In the 21st century, it's allowed me to do that as well.
3: Thank you, Kelly and Barry. Um, I've given a little bit of background. I'd love we'd love to hear, you know, your your in your words, really, how you got into this and what is polarity management.
0: Um, well, the the way I got into it is, um, uh, I was uh, uh, I was I was in in seminary in uh, in New York City and uh... was involved in trying to bring about change uh... In both in the civil rights movement and the peace movement late in the sixties and what i got concerned about is is uh... being um... Uh, uh... just just protesting things and wanting to understand well how could i get ahead of the curve um, could i learn about how systems work so rather than just protesting systems that weren't working well could i learn how to help systems large and small work better, and that got me on a course where I uh, went through some training in gestalt uh, therapy and was as working as a gestalt therapist uh, with an individual client that the first polarity map uh, took place in 1975, and immediately when it happened, when we were in this discussion about where she was dealing with uh, uh, with some ambivalence in her life, that the uh, we worked through this in a way that ended up... Becoming, We physically moved in different parts of the room, which became the first polarity map. And the minute that happened, I thought, wow, this has application at every level of system that I can imagine, including international affairs. And so from that point on, uh, I've been learning about it with, uh, with every level of system that I get invited to work with.
3: Thank you. That's, that's fascinating. What a, what a discovery. And, and I know you've worked with a number of companies um, and, and organizations since then. Um, tell us a little bit about polarity management. What, what is it?
0: Well, it's, it's really about um, the interdependent pairs that show up in life. Um, and they show up physically like inhaling and exhaling or activity and rest. Uh, they also show up in uh, in leadership in terms of um, wanting to be both clear and flexible um, or wanting to be both uh, self-assured and humble. And uh, it shows up in organizations wanting to centralize in order to work as an efficient uh, integrated system but wanting to decentralize in order to uh, be more responsive to the customer and allow for initiative in various parts of the system. Uh, we deal with stability and change. These are some examples of polarities that we deal with um, all the time, um, and so they show up as as uh, in, in leadership effectiveness, and they also show up in organizational
3: effectiveness. Thank you, um, and these interdependent pairs. You know, it reminds me of um, so often in my work as a coach, I hear people describe these uh, dilemmas or, you know, paradoxes, you know, as if they have to make a choice between one thing or the other. And I know that there's a whole other way of looking at it, which, um, re- you know, relates to managing polarities. Could you just say a little bit more about, you know, the the both and versus either or?
0: Um, uh, sure. So um, when I uh, give an example, um, when I was, I was working, uh, making a presentation on polarity thinking at the Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey, and at that time David Wennergren was the, the Chief Information Officer for the Navy, and um, uh, uh, I was visiting, sitting in on his presentation on that afternoon in order to meet him, and that evening we just had dinner together with some other senior officers. And we talked briefly about polarity thinking, and uh, he said, "Boy, I'd like to be at your presentation tomorrow, Barry, but I've got to fly out at six in the morning. But I think I might call you." So about four months later, he called me from the Pentagon, and he had been promoted to the to the deputy chief information officer for the whole Department of Defense. And what had what he had discovered is, in his new job as a deputy CIO, um, this tension between two different groups within the Department of Defense. One group was saying, we need to have information sharing, we need to be a, have, do a good job of information sharing because it was, it was our lack of quality information sharing that led to our vulnerability in 911. We've got another group of officers in the Pentagon who are saying, we need to do a good job at information security. If we don't have information security, the enemy will get the information and we won't be able to serve and protect. And he, when he called me up, he said, Barry, he said, I've got these two groups, and both of them are trying to protect the country from the other. And uh, and he said, this, I don't think this is going to really support our serving and protecting by this fight that's going on. Is this one of those polarity things? <laughs> and I said, yes, sir, I think so. And so he invited uh, me and a uh, retired naval officer, uh, Barry Frew, to come in and work with him and his executive team to figure out how can we – both provide information sharing as needed, do a good job of that, and provide information security, because if we do either of them without the other, we get in trouble. So that's an example of of a polarity and how I might get engaged with somebody.
3: That's a great example, and I think it's very helpful to, to hear an example. I'm curious, Kelly, as, as a coach, um, you probably find, as I do, that a lot of leaders think in terms of either-or and feel really stuck. Um, they see these challenges as tough trade-offs between one thing and another. And I'm, I'm curious whether you encounter this as well and how you work with your clients to create a shift.
1: Yeah, so I do encounter that with my clients, um, similar to you, Kate. And one of the first things that I do is help them appreciate that Either-or thinking needs to be supplemented rather than replaced by and both thinking or polarity thinking, and so either-or thinking and polarity thinking are within themselves a polarity. And to Barry's point earlier, around it, it's a it's about polarity thinking is about interdependency, and so to help them see the decisions or the choices that they're making um, through that lens of which ones are either-or choices, and which ones may feel like either-or choices, but they're actually interdependent pairs that need to be thought about as a polarity rather than as an either-or choice. So, for example, I'm working with a current client who um, there's a transition. It's a CEO and a COO. The CEO is also the founder of this firm, and they're talking about having the CEO move out of the CEO role into a founder role and having the COO move into the CEO role for the sake of what the organization needs to achieve in its future. And that choice, while there's a lot of tension in that choice, it is an either-or choice that they're going to make the decision of either the CEO transitions or not. They have decided to make that choice, and as the CEO is transitioning out, There's many polarities underneath that either-or decision that are now showing up. Stability and change is one. Um, A big one that's surfacing for them is control and empowerment because the preferred way that the old CEO was managing or leading was more through control. The new CEO, as he's stepping in, he has more of a preferred style of empowerment. And what they're finding is that the firm actually needs both, that control and empowerment is this interdependency, And so as they have learned to leverage that polarity, the transition's actually happening much more fluidly.
3: Another great example. Thank you, Kelly. That's really helpful. And um, Barry, when when you have a client like the one you had who recognizes that, hmm, this may be a polarity, uh, what's the next step?
0: Well, we've got a a five-step process, Kate, that we... Uh, that we use. Uh, some version of There's It's, again, f- combining clarity with some flexibility. So it depends upon the client just how we uh, do the process, but it has five steps to it. The first is uh, Dave Wennergren, for example, he saw that this could be a polarity. So the first step is in seeing. We uh, call the process, the acronym is SMALL, S-M-A-L-L, and it's uh, think small to go big. So first you see it, the S, then M is mapping it. So what we do is we we asked them um, uh, when we met with the executive team, we put on one pole of a polarity map, and the polarity map has two poles to it, and then there's an upside and a downside to each pole. is the central dimension, and so we asked them the question on the mapping process. We said, well, on the upside of information sharing, what are all the positive results you get if you do a good job of information sharing? Then we look at the upside of information security. What are all the positive results if we do a good job of information security? And so we have these two upsides that get generated by the participants um, and by the key stakeholders. And then we ask the question, well, we, OK, so both of these bring something important to the relationship. We need both. If we overfocus on information sharing to the neglect of information security, what does that look like? And we put that below the information sharing poll. And then if we overfocus on information security to the neglect of sharing, we put that below the information sharing pole. So it looks like um, uh, two poles in, a, in sort of looks like a box. So there's an upside to each pole and a downside to each pole. And then we understand that, that, that the energy actually flows through them in a natural infinity loop. And so that's the basic model. So first we map it. Now, once we've mapped it, then we can assess, that, well, how well are we doing Are we getting the upsides of both, or are we maybe getting the upside of one and not so much the upside of the other? Once you've done that assessment, then we move in. You learn from the assessment the results, which is the first L, and then the final L is leveraging. So what do we do? How do we uh, leverage this polarity? So then, again, we're just asking questions of the stakeholders because they generate the content. So the first question is, what are we doing or could we be doing to get those upsides of information sharing and then on, then on the other side the other pole you can say well what are we doing or could we be doing to get the upside of information security and that that's those action steps support us in trying to maximize both upsides of the polarity and uh that's that's the first important thing in leveraging how do we maximize each upside the other thing we can do is pay attention to what ha- you know, the downside of either poll from overfocusing on one to the neglect of the other. And so we look for early warnings. What would be early warnings that would let us know we've overfocused on information sharing? And what would be early warnings that would let us know that we're, we are uh, getting into the downside of information security? So that becomes the whole process. And we did that um, in a day that we spent with them. They had, uh, you know, they had identified the polarity already. So we mapped it, we assessed it, and we looked at strategic action steps to support each upside and early warnings to let us know about each downside
3: that's that's wonderful to hear the to understand the process steps and I really like your acronym small <laughs> it works see it map it assess, learn and leverage and um to me th- that process you just described sounds like it would really um, help people get unstuck and I'm curious um. I'm curious, Barry. When people are invited into this conversation and to to fo- to look at a familiar challenge, you know, through this lens, what happens? What do you see in the group?
0: Um, well, the 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 way polarities show up most often is um, in chronic tensions. So they're they they are uh, when we interview organizations, we ask them if there are some you know what are some concerns they have and and have they been experiencing them for a while and the more they have been experienced the chronic experiencing the chronic tension, the more likely it is that it is wrapped around a polarity because polarities are unavoidable and they 're unsolvable in that you can 't choose one solution and be successful over time. You have to do both so we uh we identify with them uh, any chronic tensions that 's one way they show up in this case. Uh, David Wennergan, experienced the chronic tension between information sharing and information security. Another way that polarities show up in organizations is around efforts to make a significant change or even a small change. And there we're dealing with the polarity of stability and change. And so uh, to put that, uh, to put the... uh, uh, the desires of the people who are trying to make the change on a polarity map. There are those who are going after the change, and then there are those who are resisting the change. And so what a polarity map allows is it allows for each of them to have a place to stand that's respected. What are the values and fears of the people who are wanting to make the change? And what are the values and fears of the people who are resisting the change? And the assumption is that both of them are bringing a wisdom to the relationship, and that underlying polarity. So that's where it shows
1: up. And, and Kate, if I could add to um, the question and what Barry just shared, one of the one of the things that I noticed that I would say is it's like a it's a beautiful thing. And the people is by being respected and having that place to stand. There is a. Um, broadening of what the participants that do the exercise can see within themselves and with each other. And when they expand what they can see and understand about each other, it actually frees them up to act in new ways and to behave in new ways. And the understanding just creates a level of, um, I would say, stronger unconditional respect and trust amongst either the stakeholders or the team that's choosing to do the work together.
3: Thank you, Kelly. You know, we're going to take a break right now. My guests today are Dr. Barry Johnson and Kelly Lewis, and we're having uh, the beginning of what I think is going to be a very rich conversation about polarity management. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back.
4: Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll free, 866 472 5790. 866 472 5790. Voice America Business Network.
2: Founded in 2012, the Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry, research, and education about the nature and requirements of leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop and sustain worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches dedicated to awakening, engaging, and supporting the leadership required in the world today to create a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer three cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF accredited certificate in leadership coaching, the executive certificate in transformational leadership, and a certificate in facilitation. We also offer a range of ICF certified advanced coach education courses for experienced leadership coaches. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email ITL programs at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000.
4: Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network.
2: You are listening to Inside Transformational Leadership. Produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms@georgetown.edu. at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host.
3: This is Kate Ebner, I'm your host today. My guests are Kelly Lewis and Barry Johnson. We're having a conversation about how to work with polarities and we were just saying as we were taking the break that the more we understand about them, the more we see that they are pervasive everywhere. We wanna to return to the conversation and um, uh, Barry, you said something I thought was quite interesting and provocative in our last segment about um, you know, a, 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 what you were calling a chronic tension. Um, or a situation where people can't seem to choose um, one, one decision or another. And you said that, um, that a polarity is a, the, a kind of um, situation in which one solution wouldn't necessarily, no matter what the pros and cons are of it and another alternative, um, just choosing one solution wouldn't necessarily turn out to be the right solution. Could you say more about that?
0: Um, sure. Sure. Um, within all polarities, there are essentially two right answers rather than one of them being right and the other one being wrong. And, uh, and so if there are two right answers, the question is how do we leverage the natural tension between the two right answers? So, uh, uh, for example, um, if, uh, if you had an organization that said uh, that we, uh, we, we want to centralize um, I worked with an organization. Uh, here's an example. I worked with an organization. They were located in 46 countries, multinational organization, and um, they were uh, struggling. Their their value was for autonomous business units, and so and they thought this was the way to be have autonomy for our business units in order to be responsive to the very in the various countries we're you know located, etc. And they were trying to move to a more integrated team, and they were when they wanted to move towards a more integrated team, they, they posited as the problem with us is we have too much autonomy and what we need is more system integration. And so the solution was to go to system integration. However, the whole culture was designed around uh, believing in the autonomy of the business units. And so when we got together, what we did was we put it on a polarity map and um, we had... Uh, business unit on one pole and company on the other pole, and we look for the autonomy of the business units. How can we support autonomy in the business units and support the integration of the business units as a group? And so you're, there's two right answers here. We can, we can promote both autonomy and integration. And if you see it as an either-or issue, no matter who wins, the system loses because one pole is not sustainable over time without the other pole. Just a metaphorical example of this is inhaling and exhaling. Um, Because the cycle time is so short between inhaling and exhaling, all of us know it would be ridiculous to make a decision, a strategic decision, to be inhalers for the future or to be exhalers for the future. Neither of those poles make sense. No matter which one you choose, you're going to be blue in the face soon. Um, So polarities are like inhaling and exhaling. They come as a set, and um, that's just how they are in life.
3: And and is what um, Kelly? I wonder. We we get stuck, and we believe that there needs to be one answer. We we they they come as a set, yet we're trying to choose. Um, And I'm I'm curious about how people, I guess it would be in the seeing part of the process, um, that first step of people really understanding the, that it's a polarity, that it's a set, and that you can work with both. Could you just describe a little bit about um, how you help people see?
1: Yeah, um, so the, the seeing in, in many ways can be a, an expansion of our values and an um, appreciation of our fears. Because they're inherent within polarities, each of the poles is an interdependent value one of the pair you know the pairs are values, and as we know with values as much as we love a value, there's an inherent fear that's that's underneath that um, and so part of it is exploring that, and then another piece is um, increasing one's capacity to both differentiate between, um, for instance, the example I was using earlier, control and empowerment, and the value of control and the value of empowerment, of empowerment and seeing the the differentiation and where those two things have, it, have a tension, where the inherent tension lies, and then at the same time, being able to hold the value of both, where a lot of times if, for instance, I prefer control, I feel safer, I feel more confident when I'm um, when I'm valuing control, I might have great fear of what it would look like if I over-focused on empowerment to the neglect of control. So I have to be willing to look at that as well. And it does really, I would say, it, it, it has expanded my own and I think it expands my client's ability to really hold that... Um, both the tension between and the interdependence of the two.
3: Do leaders who are working with polarities gain self-awareness? Yeah. You know, I wonder if you suddenly begin to be aware that you have such a strong preference toward one pole, that, that, you know, that, that there's the scenario itself, but then there's you in the scenario, <laughs> leaning yes. one way or the other. Does that yes, happen?
1: And, and so as, as we talk about a lot, Kate, at the, at the Institute for Transformational Leadership of this, um, really the polarity in transformational leadership with awareness and action. And so it does help leaders expand their own self awareness and ultimately a systems awareness to Barry's point earlier of you can, the beauty of clarities is they can be applied both at the individual level, at the you know, team level, at the organization level, at the country level. It, it, it maps across the entire system. And then being able, after you've got that self awareness and that systems awareness, to then start to look at so what actions are now available to me because I can appreciate the value of empowerment as well as I can appreciate my fears around if I were to empower people in my organization without having any kind of structure or controls in place that you know allows the organization to function as effectively as it can.
3: Thank you for that. Um, I would love to go back to you again, Barry, and have you give us another example of how you have helped organizations work with polarities?
0: Um, well, I'll, I'll give you uh, an, an example that... Um, uh, I'm just trying to think of which one to grab here. Um, well, just recently I was at, at, at Harvard at the um, Learning Innovations Labs called Lila, and they invited... There were about 25 companies in the room and um i was uh i was sharing uh, the uh the the presentation time with um mary udbeen who has written a lot of stuff on complex adaptive systems and uh and we were uh in in the process of preparing to uh, the two of us to go together to uh, to meet with with the uh the companies that were there at harvard um, I was looking at what uh, she had written uh, about complex adaptive systems and uh, the, a fundamental polarity that was a result of her 10 years of research is the polarity of what, what she calls administrative leadership and entrepreneurial leadership. So if you imagine those as the two poles, and what, what she was suggesting is that all organizations, when they start, have a heavy entrepreneurial Investment, because you know, it's like people are f- are founding this organization. They've got this entrepreneurial strength um, that is a powerful. And and what happens is, over time, as you get the company generated and it grows, um, you need some administrative leadership. So you start to realize the limits of just entrepreneurial leadership alone. And so you say, we need to get some good administration happening, some centralized coordination and system integration. So you you end up hiring some uh, people. Who are really good at that administrative, uh, function. And what happens is you end up hiring and putting in at the top of the organizational pyramid the chief executive officer, the chief operating officer, and the chief financial officer. Those three people all tend to bring, uh, of administrative leadership. Well, the problem is now you've got all the, the, the primary power in the organization is administrative and you lose some of that uh, entrepreneurial uh, emphasis. So you find yourself in the downside of administrative leadership, and now you're wanting to uh, move your company back towards we want to be more entrepreneurial. You know, we feel sort of stagnated, bureaucratic, we've created this thing. And what was interesting is we had 25 companies in the room, and we asked them, We walked through that whole process. We walked through their history of starting off as entrepreneurial, and they gave stories about that, and then what happened when they experienced some of those limits in the downside of entrepreneurial. Then it swung up. We all moved physically to the upside of administrative leadership, and then we were in the downside of administrative leadership, and I asked them, well, where would you put your company right now on this infinity loop around those two poles? And all 25 companies put themselves in the downside of administrative leadership. And I said, okay, so it seems like all of you are coming here to Lila, to Harvard, because you want to move towards reinvigorating uh, the, uh, the entrepreneurial leadership dimension. Is that right? And they said, yes. And so what I said was, well, what you're probably doing is you're looking at the downside of administrative leadership being too bureaucratic and the upside of leadership being more, um, more interaction, more informal leadership, Uh, growth and exploration and expansion um, and that's where you want to go and they said yes and I said okay now paradoxically if you want to move towards the upside of entrepreneurial leadership first you have to reaffirm the upside of administrative leadership Um, and so this is a, a polarity lens is a paradoxical change model where we first you have to affirm the upside of the pole from which you want to move and then affirm the pole you're moving towards. So that's an example and for all 25 of them it had real uh, it had real significance in terms of how they approach their desire to move towards entrepreneurial leadership.
3: Say more about that actually. Did when you say it it um, had consequences by almost paradoxically affirming the upside of administrative leadership, what did that what did that open up?
0: Well, what it meant was when they approached uh, when they were going back to their companies and thinking about how do we invest in more entrepreneurial leadership, be more innovative, more spontaneous as a company, um, instead of saying, well, we just have to create action steps to go after entrepreneurial leadership, we actually have to create action steps to support the best of administrative leadership and let the administrative leaders know we're not asking them to let go of administrative leadership in order to go after entrepreneurial leadership, that's a false choice. It's not an either or, it's a both and. So you're reaffirming the CEO, the chief operating officer, and the the chief financial officer by saying, the function you're performing in this organization is absolutely essential. We want you to hold on to it, and we need to also go after more entrepreneurial leadership in our company, within you and within the company. And so now we move forward with the question, how do we do both of these things? How do we support entrepreneurial leadership while also affirming and supporting even more effective administrative leadership? So it's the shift from either we're going to do entrepreneurial or administrative to we're going to be able to do both administrative and entrepreneurial. And that's that shift is the key, and then you intentionally use all of your traditional problem solving skills and project management skills in a dual strategy that focuses on both
3: thank you i'm sure that for many listeners that is a, a very pertinent example actually. Um, are there ever scenarios in which there really is you know one answer, and I know that that wouldn't be a polarity, but uh, I imagine there are uh, choices, even uncomfortable choices, where there really is one answer. Um, can you comment on that?
0: Yeah, Kelly, would you like to respond to that one? Or
1: Yeah, I'm thinking, Barry, of the conversation we were having recently about um, mergers and acquisitions. And mm-hmm. that that seems like in the story that you had about that really is a, there's, a, there's a choice that we need to make here and then how that opens up. Polarities to then be leveraged after the choice is made. So I'm wondering if that example might be good for to talk through. Sure. So this was the situation. Um, I had done some work
0: with the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce (CIBC), and uh, and they had uh, they uh, ended up purchasing the personal insurance company. And uh, about I don't know eight months after the uh, the acquisition of the personal. Um, they were struggling. They had a group uh, focused on, what do we call the new insurance company? Now, think of the names of the two companies and where the dilemma was. You have the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce, and you have the personal insurance company. Mm -hmm. Do you call it the Imperial Personal? I mean, so (laughs) so as they were struggling with this, the CEO, who knew about my work, invited me back. He said, Barry, I'm going to give you one day with this this team of folks. And uh, because he had, in terms of direction and participation, he had allowed for a lot of participation by representatives from both the personal and and, uh, the CIBC to be working on this this process. But he said, we can't wait any longer. He said, I'll give you a day with them. If they don't come up with something, then I'm going to make a decision because we have to move on this. So what we did was we created a polarity map in which we put the personal on one pole and we put... CIBC on the other pole, and we generated what are all the things that the CIBC brings to this new acquisition. What are all the things the personal insurance company brings to this relationship? Uh, and and so we looked at so we created a polarity map together, and from that we decided on okay. So what would the the what we need is something that reflects the combined contributions of these two. And they came up with actually a two-stage name. There was a name that they were going to use as a temporary placeholder, and then it was going to evolve into another name. But all of that, so they were thinking both short-term and long-term on this, and they were thinking about combining the best of the personal and the best of the CIBC. And uh, and they came up with, uh, they'd been working on it for eight months, they came up with a name, actually the, the, the strategy, uh, in one day. So- wow. Well. When you frame, again, all the wisdom was in the room. I didn't know what, what the benefits of the CIBC were or what the benefits of the personal were, but mm-hmm. they knew because the stakeholders were in the room. So we look mm-hmm. at the polarity map as a wisdom organizer, and the wisdom is in the person if you're doing coaching, and the wisdom is in the organization if you're doing consulting.
3: Very, very important point. Um, and we have only 30 seconds, but I'm curious. Can you say what their new name was?
0: I don't even remember. No.
3: Oh no! <laughs> it's like the punchline of the story. No, that's that's wonderful though. That's a that's a great example, and I love the the distinction about the map as a wisdom organizer. And um, we often say at Georgetown, trust the process, and people sometimes feel frustrated to hear that actually. But this sounds like a process that people um, that that really liberates that wisdom. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to take a break right now. I'm Kate Ebner. You're listening to Inside Transformational Leadership with Kelly Lewis and Barry Johnson, and we'll be right back.
2: is an international center for inquiry research and education about the nature and requirements of leadership in the 21st century our mission is to develop and sustain worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches dedicated to awakening engaging and supporting the leadership required in the world today to create a more sustainable and compassionate future We currently offer three cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching, the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership, and the Certificate in Facilitation. We also offer a range of ICF-certified advanced coach education courses for experienced leadership coaches. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email ITLprograms at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host.
3: Here we go in the last part of our program, and we're going to um, we're going to work on applying. Um, how to leverage polarities in sort of a modern context. We've been um, exploring sort of what this looks like in organizational life, what it can look like for individuals and groups. And right before the break, we were talking about um, the polarity map as a as a wisdom uh, organizer. And um, you know, Barry, our society right now is in the midst of this um, political election where. There seem to me to be a lot of polarities at play, probably we could find many different um sets <laughs> to work with but i w- would love to actually just um see if we can apply what you're talking about this morning to u- better understanding um this election that's going on right now
0: um uh sure let me and let me just say, um say uh, about two different elections just to contrast them in, in relation to this, so you might recall. Um, in the first uh, Bill Clinton election, which he he won over George Bush Senior, and there was a comment about uh, you know to to George Bush Senior, it's like it's the economy, stupid. And what was what was happening there in that polarity? The the, the key polarity was domestic policy and foreign policy, and George Bush Senior had just. had just finished the Iraq war, had been successful, it had been a, you know, um, uh, a number of countries joined together uh, to defeat Saddam Hussein, and so he was riding that pole of of the polarity, domestic policy, foreign policy. He was riding the foreign policy pole, but what happened was the country had actually shifted to domestic policy. What about us? And Bill Clinton was talking about the economy and domestic policy, and, and, uh, President, uh, President Bush was to, was trying to, you know, ride the reality that he had done it. You know, that he had done it, what had been a very popular uh, foreign policy effort. And so, when the, the quote came, "It's about the economy, stupid." What had happened was the the focus of the country had shifted from foreign policy to domestic policy. That's what was meant. So that's an example of how how polarities show up even at the larger level. In this election, one of the key polarities, I believe is candor and diplomacy. I'd like to speak a little bit about each of them. Mm-hmm. So, candor is about, you know, I call it the way I see it. I speak my truth. Whether you like it or not, at least you know it's my truth. On the diplomacy side, and the candor pays attention to the whole notion of, of, uh, of honesty and, and directness. Um, and so you know where I stand. On the diplomacy side, you're paying attention to your impact. When I say this, what's my impact on others? And we need to have a combination, I believe, uh, with all leaders. We need to be, have candor, but we also need to pay attention to diplomacy and our impact. Now, what happens, I believe, with, with people who get into elected politicians is they tend to pay attention on that diplomacy poll. Um, and if you have diplomacy without candor, it's seen as, as duplicity. You're not telling the truth. And so we have a Congress whose rating is somewhere between 9 and 19%. Their disapproval rating is as high as almost 90%, between 80 and 90% disapproval rating in Congress. And one of the main criticisms is that, you know, it's what's called being politically correct. They're saying what's politically correct. We don't know what's really on their mind. Hmm. And Hillary Clinton gets identified with that, and that is seen as deceptive and lying. So the downside of diplomacy is duplicity. Hmm. So what happens as the country is, as somebody claims the candor poll, I'm calling it the way I see it, it's grabbing a uh, necessary self-correction, uh, and both, uh, both Bernie and Donald Trump, are, are in, their, you know, in their initial campaign in the primaries, were on that poll. And people, and some people were just aghast at some of the things that were being said, especially by Donald Trump. But people, other people were saying, well, at least he's, he's, we, we know that's what he believes. We're not getting something that he thinks he wants us to hear. And hmm. so paradoxically what happened is even the most outrageous things that some people might be seeing as outrageous, like how can he survive politically when he's making these statements? And he can actually go up in the polls with these statements. I suggest that he goes up in the polls with those statements because people are saying, I, even though I don't agree with him on everything, at least I believe I can believe what he's saying that that's what he believes, and and that's and that's giving him a lot of traction. Um, and almost the more the more the the mainline politicians criticize him, the more it supports him by those who identify with his his focus on uh, on the candid poll, which is which is a breath of fresh air for a lot of people.
3: Yeah. And, you know, I mean, people around the country are puzzling over this election, trying to understand their, the choices available and, and how to make them and the one right choice and or the best choice, you know, given the confusion around choices. And, you know, following the, the polarity process, um, Kelly, what would you say would be a good way forward?
1: You know, it's funny, this has been um, in the work, the learning community that I'm a part of currently as um, to help deepen my proficiency and mastery in clarity thinking with Barry. This has been a place where he has asked us to apply it. And I have, I personally have felt the tension um, within myself and within my environment over the election. And it's a great example of a place where there is, at the end of the day, an either-or choice that's going to have to be made in November. Right? We're, we're all going to have to vote for one or the other, and being able to look at the choice through the lens of polarities and appreciate the polarities that are at play within that choice. To the you know, there were a couple that um, that Barry just mentioned has helped me actually have more. Um, confidence in my own personal ability to go make that choice in November rather than to say I'm not voting, right? Both choices, I I, I can't, there's so much conflict, I can't vote for either. So I think the, you know, for me, the way forward has been appreciate that there is one choice that's going to be made and then to use a polarity lens to look at both, both candidates and what's going on underneath to be able to help People more um, fully understand what our what we're what we're working with, both personally and at a at a national level, and then from that point, you know, make your decision. Thank you
3: for that, Barry. If you were okay. going to oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to ask you if you were to design a one day nationwide polarity <laughs> process for us all. Could you do it? <laughs> would
0: um, you do well, it? well, I would. Well, I would. I would certainly. Sure, there are some key. Uh, I think there are some key polarities that that fit at the larger system level. And if we're looking at candidates through a polarity lens, then I would just suggest that what we know, the research is very clear, that leaders that leverage polarities well outperform those that don't. And the question is just which polarities, which leadership polarities, do you think are most important? Number one, and then how well do you think? he or she would be at leveraging them. So I'll give you some examples. Um, I think the first one, candor and diplomacy. The question is, um, um, with with that polarity, when you look at the two candidates, it would be which one is most able to be both candid and diplomatic? Um, One may hang out on diplomacy. One may hang out on candor. The question is um, which one is able to somehow entertain both candor and diplomacy. Another key leadership polarity is being self-assured and being humble. So which leader is able to be both self-assured and humble? If you're self-assured without being humble, you're seen as arrogant. If you're humble without being self-assured, you're seen as wishy washy. So, so, um, uh, so that's, uh, that's another uh, example. And which, which candidate would be Able to, in terms of uh, paying attention to the nation state, um, to re- to uh, allow for um, uh, the interests of the United States and the interests of the global community. Um, uh, if, if you overfocus on the global community, you undermine, you know, your autonomous functioning and freedom as a country. But if you overfocus on the country to the neglect of the of the community, you end up getting isolated from the rest of the planet. So. So the question is how who would be most likely to be able to both affirm the country and affirm the global community and and leverage that polarity? So those are some key polarities that we're we're dealing with. Um, uh, and there, and, if uh, I could mention yeah.
1: if I could yes. mention one additional one there, um, one we talked about before, it's this polarity of conditional respect and unconditional respect. And as leaders, how do we both hold the respect that, by condition, our our position, right, in this case, the President of the United States, what that offers us, and how can we also create unconditional respect through relationship and connection that has a common humanity that has nothing to do with the position that we we hold? I think that's Mm -hmm. another important one that's at play here. Uh, Yes,
0: great example. Um, and so, so, from a polarity lens, that would be a kind of of lens you 'd look at because the assertion from a polarity perspective is that a leader who can leverage polarities well will serve the organization or the nation they 're leading more effectively than somebody who tends to be think only in either or terms and um, would be unable to would be less able therefore to um, to leverage the important polarities that exist at the national and international level.
3: Oh, that's fascinating. Well, and I wonder, you know, I wonder about uh, if there's a distinction that would be helpful to our listeners about maybe the difference between opposites and polarities.
0: Um, Sure. Um, So... um, uh, we talk about them as, as problems to solve and polarities to leverage. So problems to solve can be very complex and wonderfully rich, like how do we get to the moon or, um, uh, you know, how, how, do we, uh, how do we stop ISIS? You know, there, there, are, there are these problems that we, we need to solve every day um, from simple to very complex problems to solve. The, when you've got a problem to solve, when you solve it, it means you can move on, and it's 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 taken care of. Like what's four plus four? It's eight. Well, once you've got the answer to the problem, you can move on. You don't have to deal with that anymore because you've got the answer. Polarities, on the other hand, are these interdependencies that you that live within us, and we live within them, and they don't go anywhere. So, an organization, for, uh, well, uh, for example, as as a nation state, we're talking about this. We're always going to be dealing with the polarity of of paying attention to uh, domestic policy and our uniqueness as a country, on the one hand, and our relationship with the community of nations. And so that's not going anywhere. Um, We will just manage it or leverage it more or less well. Mm -hmm. As long as we are Mm -hmm. a nation-state, we will be dealing with the nation-state in its relationship to the larger um uh the larger world community
3: you know this is a this is such a uh, a rich topic and um you know i think just in our time today we've you know we've touched on the very surface of uh what using a polarity lens as you call it can offer leaders and organizations, communities, and even a nation. And um, I know that people are going to be interested in knowing how they might be able to follow up with um, both of you. And so I wondered um, if you could each share a little bit of your contact information or how to learn more about this work. Um, Barry?
0: Um, Yes. Um, It's just um, www.polaritypartnerships, with an S, polaritypartnerships.com, would get people into... um, into that, and I'm I'm in the middle of writing. A, I'm quite excited. I'm just in the middle of writing a book right now, and I'm making it available to people who want to pay what we're calling a reader's advance, and they can find out about that on the site. and, and uh, you can read the chapters of the book as they're being written. You don't have to wait till it comes out in, next June, uh, and it's two Great. thirds done, so you can get those pages mm-hmm. um, uh,
3: is right now if you want. Fantastic, thank you, and Kelly.
1: Yeah, you can also um, contact me through Polarity Partnerships as well as through my own um, company website, which is www.tllgroup.com, which is the Lewis Leadership Group. Um, so either of those, you can you can find me.
3: Fantastic! And as we close, I'd like to also, as you did, Kelly, give a shout out to Cliff Kaiser, who introduced me to Polarity, probably along with you, um, some some years ago and who teaches at the George Mason, um, coaching program and another, another great resource. I want to say thank you to you both for the, um, conversation that we've had. I I would love to, to continue it and hope that we can bring you back again to talk more. Thank you so much.
0: Thank Thank you very much for the invite.
3: Have a great week.
2: Thank you for joining us this week on Inside Transformational Leadership. Please tune in for another edition next Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our programs, please visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. We'll talk again next week.